We are doing a series uh, called The Best is Yet to Come. As we've been looking through the book of Malachi, and we're up to week five, so we're halfway through our series. As we lead up to Christmas, and as we lead up to a new series for Christmas. The Best is Yet to Come is supposed to be a series of hope that there is something better coming. This great hope we have is in Christ Jesus. And the great hope in part is represented by nothing that we can do ourselves. But our great hope is in Christ Jesus because it is dependent on what he has already done for us. We know the promise that he's already given us and that he set forth in front of us. So we can proclaim and know in our hearts the best is yet to come. Our hope has already been assured. Amen, I think. Amen to that. Hey, that's what we hold on to. But of course, it's not easy to live in that hope always. We found it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're, we're, we're not always feeling like we've managed to live in the best of what God has for us. And that perhaps God has better coming and, and where we are sitting we, we, we know that God wants so much more for us. So it's not always easy, but God stands next to us and points forward and says, you know what, I know what you've been through, but I'm with you and this is where we're going. There is something better to come. And so it leads us to consider this morning what to do when you're waiting for the best to come. What to do when you're waiting for the best to come. This morning is speaking for those who are waiting for something. You could be waiting for a promotion after being looked over so many times. You could be waiting for that special someone. Maybe you're waiting for a season of your life to change. You could be waiting for some pain to go away. It could be simply that you're sick of hearing uh, of, of, of another person who has been abused and you're waiting for those news stories to be no more. You could be waiting just for things to be not just going all right, but you, for you to be able to feel like you're walking in the blessings of God every day. I don't know your season of waiting right now, but God does. It might be a little thing, it might not. But I encourage you, this morning is for those who are waiting. When, uh, when Reuben was 10 months old, uh, Sarah did a loving, loving, gracious thing. Took him to England to meet some family for a month. I say loving and gracious because that was a lovely, lovely month. Uh, for me to live in bachelordom for, uh, for a little while. The things that I did, oh, don't get me wrong, it was a great time for Sarah and Reuben to meet, uh, to meet family over there. I'm sure it was a blessing for them, but oh, the blessing was greater for me. Staying up to late hours or early hours, whichever way you want to look at it. The food I could perhaps eat in these times, the blessings were abundant. Um, you know, the late, the watching the movies. I have a certain taste of movies. Sarah doesn't share that taste of movies. Um, 
the late, the late, late nights, early mornings on the roof of the house, just doing some, some really soft lights, not loud work, uh, but re-securing some things because I could and oh, I had time to... Oh. But don't get me wrong, while I was enjoying this, I was very conscious that there would be a time where Sarah would return. And dishes needed to be done. And washing needed to be done. And, uh, oh, what else? Uh, vacuum the floor. And so, so in, I, was, I, was, I, was, I thought about this in the week leading up. I didn't cram it into the last couple of days. I spread it out a bit. And so every day a different job would be done, a different thing would be looked after. Went be up at far and beyond, okay? I wiped all of the light switches in the house. Because, you know, like as you go along, you just sweat marks and they get a bit... I, I wanted this place to be spick and span perfect for my love to come home, for my best to come home. Uh, so I cleaned those architraves all the way around the bottom of the house, in the, in the lounge room, in the kitchen, in the bedrooms. I cleaned every single one of those. Then I could tell Sarah that actually some of those will not come clean. So we won't try later. Um, I pulled out the stops, right? The reason I'm telling you this is, can you imagine if I took a different approach? And you know what? A couple of days beforehand thought to myself, you know what? What has she done for me lately? Where has she been? I mean, you know, imagine what that would be like. I think you can put yourself in that position. Uh, women, I imagine there may be some slaps that would go on if that occurred. I mean, has Reuben even picked up an English accent while he's gone? What's the point? Oh, be like dead man walking, wouldn't it? Well, well, well. Is a hole in the ground, and that's where I'd find myself. And once again, that is where the Israelites find themselves in our passage this morning. Let's read verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? And you know, while it's easy for us to think, how could they ask these questions of God? I think we could probably shake our heads and think we've probably asked such silly questions of God at one point or another as well. It would be crazy for us to forget all that God has done for us. It would be crazy for me to, to, after a month, forget all that Sarah is to me and to ask such a crazy and ludicrous question. This is our example of what not to do while we're waiting. Ungratefulness is like digging a hole for ourselves. And as we dig... We get further and further into trouble. So just to start with what to do while you're waiting for the best to come, I just warn you, don't be ungrateful. Don't for a second see God for any less than what he is and ask one of these questions that would not appreciate who God is. Back at the start of chapter 1, 
we had some similar crazy questions which they asked. They asked the question, how have you loved us, God? In that instance, God decides to remind them. He goes back and says, remember when I did this for you. Remember when I did this for you. But here in this instance, instead God decides to point forward. Of course, we know Malachi is the last book and he's the last prophet before the Gospels, the New Testament, and Jesus is coming. And this time God points forward and says, you know what? This is what I've got coming. This is the best that I am going to bring you. Malachi 3, verse 1. So they say, where is the God of justice? He says, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. That is John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So God says you are too busy looking at what's going on around you. You ask these questions of where is the God of justice? You are too busy looking at what's going around you to realise what I am doing myself. He encourages us just to raise our chin just a little higher, to not get too distracted with the things of this world, but to always have our focus on him. Now we know that these can be reasonable questions in our minds. These questions where we don't understand what is going on. How is this happening? They want to see justice happen. They want the evil punished, just as, as, uh, as Scott was sharing. And they want everything to be right in the world, and they want it now. But God responds, keep your gaze on me. While you're waiting for things to get better, while you're waiting for that best to come, keep your gaze on me. And specifically, he does point to Jesus. Keep your eyes on the promise of Jesus. I want to encourage you in that this morning. As you look around and start getting frustrated by the sins of this world, look up. There are greater things happening. Buddy Owens, he puts it this way. When you fix your thoughts on God, God fixes your thoughts. Now William Wilberforce He's well known for being one of the key figures in seeing slavery become illegal in Britain. At the age of 26, he was, he was already a politician, but at the age of 26, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. It transformed his lifestyle. The focus that he had all of a sudden changed. All of a sudden, uh, after he'd been a, well, all after he'd been a politician for five years, when he came to faith, two years after that, he started to campaign for against slavery. It took twenty years when eventually they passed the Slave Act of eighteen o seven. As he got older, he suffered from poor health, and it took another thirty years for it to be outright illegal across Britain. So 50 years 
he campaigned on this journey. Three days after it was made completely illegal, he passed away. What does it take to push a giant boulder up a hill like that? To bring about one of the biggest cultural changes we've seen and had in thousands of years. He pays credit to his faith. Ever since he came to faith, he always had one eye focused on what God wanted and what God was calling him to do. And that gave him the strength just long enough to withhold until that change could come. Second Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles. Now that is of course with God in the perspective. They don't always feel light and momentary to us. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is is unseen is eternal. You know the saying, you are what you eat? It's, It's a bit like that. We reflect what we focus on. So I just want to give you an example of this and we're just going to watch a short little video if we can. Who can't help but hopefully feel a little bit of warmth watching that? It's not at all ironic that we, we watch something like that or where kids are laughing or, you know, you might have seen videos where, where parents tie balloons to the, the baby's limbs and they move back and forth and they giggle because they're making these balloons move and we can't help but feel the warmth there. Tony Robbins, he says, your life is controlled by what you focus on. So as you wait... Uh, So as you wait for something better, as you wait on the best that God has for you, put your focus on him. Not on your troubles, not on the things of this world. Put your focus on him. He will control your focus. He will look after you. And you might find yourself all of a sudden reflecting something a little bit different just because of where your focus is. He gives power to the weak. He gives strength to the powerless. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. His promise is he will never leave you or forsake you. He will be your shelter. He will be your refuge in a time of need. And he's going to bring an eternal glory that outweighs anything that we have to wait through here. So I want to encourage you, ask yourself the question, where do you find your focus? Where do you find your focus? And if you're not sure what the answer to that is for you, then I want to encourage you to consider, in your time of waiting, how are you feeling? Because that feeling might help point you to what your focus must be. 
What is your focus? If you wish your answer was something better than what's in your mind right now, I want to encourage you, focus on God. What God does next in the passage uh, is, a, is a bit of a good-spirited heads-up. I know uh, he says to the Israelites, you know, I know you Israelites have got some mixed-up things going on, but I'm going to let you know what I've got planned. And so what he's saying is get yourself ready. While you're waiting for things to get better, you need to get yourself ready. The worst, worst thing to do while you're waiting is to sit on your hands and do nothing. And just wait for whatever it is. It's important to be proactive, purposeful as we wait. We've talked about the slow build that happens through Malachi on other weeks. Can you hear the drum roll a little bit louder here? Are you going to be ready for the best that God has for you? I think potentially sometimes... God brings that thing we're waiting for, but we find ourselves not actually ready when it gets there. Malachi 3, 2 to 4, and the warning here isn't necessarily a lovely one, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire of a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And of course, as Scott said, the ironic thing is they ask this question, when are you going to bring justice to the people who deserve it, who have been doing the wrong things? But they don't find themselves faultless in God's eyes either. It seems like a foolish thing to ask. Come God, punish those who deserve it. Punish those with sin. Well, who would call themselves clean if that was the day? God employs two images to illustrate what it will be like when he comes in order to lead them to change their ways. So that he doesn't find them idly sitting by thinking that God is going to come just to talk and deal with some people. He gives them these images so that they are constantly working forward and prepared, ready for when he returns. So he gives what the first image is he will be like a refiner's fire. Sometimes we like to have the picture of Jesus with the halo and the kids around his feet. But certainly not the trait that God is encouraging with this image right here. There's a story about the woman who goes to a silversmith to watch the process of refining silver. As she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest, as to burn away all the impurities. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. 
The man answered that yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. If the silver was held there uh, too long, then it would burn up. If the silver wasn't held there long enough, then those impurities would stay in the silver. The woman was silent for a moment and then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, oh, that's easy. When I see my image in it. And that's a bit of the warning that God gives. But I want to encourage you for a moment to think about the fact that the silversmith has to sit there at the fire. In that difficult time, in that waiting, feeling the heat, knowing what's going on. And of course, we need to find ourselves prepared to throw off those impurities so that we would evermore, increasingly, each day, find ourselves the reflection of God there. The second thing he gives us as an image is that he will be like a launderer's soap. The idea here isn't just of becoming clean, but this type of soap, it was caustic. It was very effective in producing white materials. So, so you imagine a white top with a, a few black stains and that soap after time, after scrubbing, after washing, after rinsing and scrubbing again, as many times as it took, could come to a place where it was white, bright and strong. As it is with Jesus, that he would come willing to scrub away our impurities, every sin to be washed away, for us to be cleansed so long as we're willing to accept him. These images beg the question, what impurities do we need to get rid of while we're waiting? What needs to be made clean in our lives? How well can you see Jesus in your reflection? Jesus' own words were, I have come to bring fire on earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. See, the coming of Jesus was a sign of a coming of a drawing a line in the sand. That one day it would be that either there would be people who would find themselves in Christ or find themselves not. The end of our passage, it goes on to list a number of different sins, which, which I won't read through. But every single one of these sins that, that the Israelites are committing, he, he ends up summarising them all as people who do not fear him. I think those of us who are in Christ, we recognise the love that Christ has for us. That he has been willing to come, to die, to save us, to take away those sins and those impurities. 
I think also those of us who find ourselves in Christ also equally recognise that without that, it's not good news for us. That God does come to judge. He's the only one who, who is called to be the judge. He's the only one who's fit to, to fill that role and to make those decisions. And the only decision is, which side of the line do we find ourselves on? Those who do not fear me. They may even be people who recognise God, but don't care. And that's a hard thing to know. Because they go, you know what, well, I think I could, get, I could do this and I can do this. And you know what, ultimately in the end it doesn't matter. There are some, uh, some famous Christians out there who believe that, you know what, when the day comes, God is loving and he's going to bring everyone into heaven. Why would he send his son Jesus to die? If everyone's just going to come to heaven anyway. Why would he call people to share the good news if it doesn't matter anyway? There is a line for us to consider. And we have to be prepared to recognise what is coming and in a healthy way. Fear God but a loving fear to recognise what he comes to bring. But as we know in the New Testament, to also internalise and realise that he has come also to save us from that. This is a message for all of us. As all time is waiting on just one thing to happen. We have to keep our gaze on him. We have to get ready because Jesus is set to return again. The language used in this passage, while it speaks of the first coming of Christ, it also parallels to the second coming of Christ. And there's going to come a day where people who ask the question, where is the God of justice? Well, this God of justice, he is preparing his way. He's preparing the time. So that all wrongs will become right. This world isn't all that God created it to be. We've changed that. Sin has mucked that up. And, and God in his grace does step in sometimes to, to right some wrongs. But the day is coming when all rights will be all wrongs will be made right. That's not good if you put it around the wrong way. That's that's terrible. There's a day coming where all wrongs will be made right. Some of the th those things we're waiting for, some of those pains, some of those difficulties, the best is yet to come. Keep your focus on him. Get yourself ready because our God is a just God. He will return again to purify. He will return to cleanse. And he will return to redeem all of those who recognise and fear him for all that he is. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your redeeming power. 
Lord, we thank you that we don't find ourselves still sitting in the Old Testament of, the, of just the warning. But God, just in this passage, as you point forward and say, there's someone greater coming. There's my messenger of the new covenant. Lord, that we can sit and look back and understand, God, you have come to redeem us. Lord, that you will call on all those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. But God, as we find ourselves at different times to be in life's difficult paths and experiences and circumstances, Lord, we we pray that you give us the strength and this mindset, Lord, to keep our focus on you so that we would know, we would remember and always hold on to the best is yet to come, God. You have more for us. And Lord, help us not sit idly by. As we wait, Lord, for what you have for us. Help us be proactive. Help us take one step forward at a time. So, Lord, that we would find ourselves in the best possible position to receive what you are bringing to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.